0: You're listening to Real Investor Radio with Craig Fuhr and Jack Bevere, where we cover advanced real estate investing topics to help you stay ahead of the curve in your real estate investing business. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Real Investor Radio. I'm Craig Fuhr, and I am surrounded by experts, experts, experts today. Hey, Jack, good to see you. Absolutely. You too, boss. Fred, great to see you as always, always sir. Great to see you. Jack and Fred both, uh, uh, Fred is obviously the founder of Dominion, the Dominion Group here in Baltimore. Jack is a partner at the Dominion Group. And we have Dennis Cisterna today on the line to talk all about Build to Rent, everybody. So, um, obviously, Build to Rent is a hot, hot topic in uh, the real estate investing space. Uh, both from a sort of a mom and pop standpoint all the way up to uh, Wall Street uh, are very big players in that. We're going to be talking all about that today with Dennis. Dennis is, uh, runs a uh, successful business in the, in the space. And Fred, why don't you go ahead and introduce Dennis, if you would, and uh, we'll, we'll learn as much as we can from him today. Sure.
1: So Dennis has been a friend of the Dominion Group for well over a decade. Uh, we met Dennis when we were trying to get financing as we grew the business. Uh, Dennis has tremendous expertise in fundraising capital markets uh, and built his own builder and fund under his Guardian brand. So did did extremely well, very, very experienced. And Dennis is also my partner in a Sentinel uh, net lease uh, fund that we built over the last five years.
2: Thanks hey, for you? having me, guys. <laughs> Well, it's
0: good. To, it's good to meet you, Dennis. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Hopefully, we can uh, pick your brain over the next episode or two, and and uh, really sort of learn more about build-to-rent, um, where it's been, and some of the headwinds that you might be facing right now. So, why don't we just jump right in, guys? Um, just taking a look at some of the the news that's been uh, out on on the internet lately. Uh, I think the common theme that I'm seeing is media seems to be uh, hot and cold on build-to-rent. You know, if you listen to like Jack just sent me a, an art a, a, a news piece from the Today Show, and it was pretty fluffy, a lot of happy talk, and it was this notion that you know we are living in a time where the cost of home ownership and the cost of renting is sort of at parity tough to get a loan. Most people can't afford the down payment. A lot of Gen Zers are, you know, really not that interested, uh, it seems. I I read a report the other day uh, where it said 44 percent, they surveyed, RealPage surveyed 2,000 multifamily renters ages 55 and younger, and they found that uh, those with incomes between twenty to two hundred thousand, more than two fifths of them, forty-four percent of them, said they're pretty darn happy. They're really good with renting, and if you talk to Gen Zers, they'll tell you that fifty-one percent of them will say that renting is the best choice. And I think that's sort of what we're hearing in the happy talk—the CNBCs, the CNNs—you know—they um, want to tell us that that build-to-rent is really the the magic pill to solve all of our housing woes right now, Dennis. you jump in here anyway and help us out and what's been your experience tell us about your experience thus far sure
2: sure uh well my my background i started my career as a housing market analyst so i've been uh long in housing and and residential investing for my whole career worked for toll brothers and lennar for a number of years and uh have been involved in the build for rent sector since 2017 which frankly doesn't seem like that long ago but it's eons compared to a lot of the new entrants in the space um, so you know our first experience with it was buying uh forty inventoried houses from a home builder uh, and just operating part of that subdivision as a rental community uh, and then over time uh we we expanded that business to buying entire subdivisions uh, and then um, buying land and having builders' fee build for us and then ultimately developing our own communities as well from the ground up, uh including entitlement so um, I, I've kind of done and seen it all as it relates to the, the bill for rent sector um, and how to enter that market. Um, you are right in the sense that there is a, an extremely strong amount of demand for rental products across the country. Um, a lot of that has to do with some of the macro trends overall, because we have a housing shortage and we have had a housing shortage for a long time, and it is quite easy to uh, say that I prefer to rent when I can't pr- afford a mortgage. So I think there's some conventional wisdom in there where people say, I'm very happy to rent. Um, and ultimately, people would be happy to rent or buy because they just would like to have a house, but we're not really producing enough housing um, for the population overall. I will tell you, although it's against my, uh, my I guess, my my nature, because obviously I run a for-profit business. Uh, I don't agree that renting is always the best way. If you look historically at wealth creation uh, for the middle class in in America, it's through owning your own home. And with the advent of of bill for rent, you are taking a lot of entry level supply away from first time homebuyers and you're putting it into the rental market. Um, Now, there's an opportunity there financially. Um, but from a socioeconomic impact, I, I think it's actually negative as you see income disparity grow greater and greater uh, across the different quintiles uh, of the of the market. But the demand is there. Uh, I think the problem that you will see in this sector, especially now that interest rates have gone up, yes, interest rates have gone up so it it, it eliminates uh, people that for to be able to buy their home, but it also make, makes it much harder to go fund. Uh, these bill-for-rent communities because your interest rate to borrow as an investor is much higher as well. So yields have been compressed in this ultra-low interest rate environment to a point where people were expecting that to happen forever. And Now that interest rates have doubled in the span of 18 months, it makes a lot of these bill-for-rent projects uh, financially unfeasible, unless you are literally okay with clipping a very low coupon and kicking the can down to an environment where interest rates are are low again. It just depends on what kind of investor you are. But you know, for investors looking in in the bill for rent sector now, um, if their strategy is I'm gonna I'm gonna go clip a two or a three percent coupon because I have to use negative leverage, and I hope that one day interest rates come down so I can make a good profit. It's a freaking pipe dream. Um, I think you. So so my job
0: <laughs> on the show here, Dennis, is to slow it on down. You know, for the folks that uh, that don't speak uh, Wall Street and sort of all those things. So sure. and you, that, you gave us a lot to digest there. Um, one one
2: uh, question I had was, what markets are you currently in? So uh, our portfolio is in Texas, Florida, Georgia, uh, and the Carolinas.
0: Sort of um, the very the, the most popular states for Bill to rent
2: right now. Yeah, but but I would also caution I, I would i would caution you to say that the majority of that portfolio was tied up before the middle of 2021 mm-hmm. um those markets became ultra competitive um during that period of time and the barriers to entry became much higher um so i, I actually think there's a good runway in a lot of secondary and tertiary markets uh our build to rent um joint venture is is partially capitalized by a large private equity firm who doesn't wanna go into those secondary or tertiary markets, but there's a number of operators um, that that I know and I have worked with in the past that are having great success um, in more affordable Midwestern markets where the barriers to entry are lower, but there's still a good amount of, of housing demand for rental product.
3: Hey, let me jump in with a question. When we're talking about the build to rent um, <clears throat> spectrum of stuff here, are we are, when, when you're talking about the investments that you've typically seen? Are you talking about single parcels of land that's multifamily and it just happens to look like single-family townhouses, or are you talking about indiv- individually deeded lots where the developer has the optionality of selling off one at a time in the future?
2: Or yeah, both? Yeah, that's a that's that's a great question. So everything that we've done to this point has been individually deeded lots. Um, where there's a tentative track map and every home is individually recorded. Uh, there are obviously investors out there that focus on single plat transactions where uh, it is similar to an apartment building, right? You've got essentially 140 units on a single parcel. Um, and, and and both work in built to rent. Um, I think when you see that type of product on the single plat, it's typically more of a, Kind of villa, fourplex, army barrack type of product as opposed to uh, more traditional townhomes or even truly single family detached homes or, or even duplexes?
3: So, my understanding is that whether it's individually deeded lots or a multifamily parcel, financing can be the financing for the developers doing those deals, looking at those deals. You can take advantage of agency multifamily financing, so it's that's kind right. of it's, you, you get kind of a little bit of this best of both worlds, right? Where you have the optionality of an indi- individually deeded lot that could be sold to a homeowner in the future, but you get the rates of, of Freddie Mac multifamily financing. That's that, a big that's, leg up, though, right? It, Versus it, it, a scattered it, it site is. approach.
2: It, it is, it is, it is a big leg up to have that agency debt. I will tell you, however, if you do have the individually deeded lots you can't sell off one or 10 of those houses. So there are loan covenants within there when you're using agency debt saying, okay, you're gonna use our our our, our paper. If you're going to do that, you have to keep this as one um, uh, one completely connected community. You can't sell off bits and pieces of it. So that is the restriction you have is is you lose that flexibility of selling it one-off. But I will tell you, most investors, that's kind of a worst case scenario that you're going to go sell it off one by one anyway. Um, In this day and age where you're getting kind of greater premiums for selling them in bulk to begin with, than you would on a one by one basis. um, It's, it's a highly unlikely scenario where you'd break part of it out anyway.
3: So the, one of the things that I've always, uh, well, I've heard right at conferences where build to rents a, you know, a common topic these days um, is that, that there, this may be a new market, right? It's a, it's, it's historically un, unserved, I guess you'd say, because in the past folks went from renting an apartment, getting married, and then they go buy a house, whether they're ready for it or not, whether they want to be in that area or not. Um, and with kind of like the changing, um, social structures, right. People getting married later, having kids later, the opportunity to rent in a location while you're, you know, and have a, a single-family lifestyle is something that you know previously wasn't as as you know much of an option for folks. And so maybe even you know the rents that you can get for those, you know, have, have you seen developers being able to push rents even above from a uh, even above where you know kind of I guess kind of market expectations because they're offering a product that really wasn't available to the rental market before.
2: Yeah, I would tell you there's definitely a... Obviously, there's a premium for new housing and new construction versus uh, existing product. Um, that's number one. Uh, two, it really it depends on the location where that product is being offered. So if it is the only game in town where it's, it's the first time there's been new product available in 20 years, yeah, you're probably going to push it well beyond what the comps are going to show you in that market. Uh, and that happens at a lot of places that have been built out for a long period of time, right? So if you go into an area like Cleveland, right? Cleveland doesn't have exactly a a ton of new housing permits to begin with. And you put a a community in there that that's 30 years, you know, it's, it's been 30 years since anything's been constructed. You're going to be able to push rents, even though it's an affordable market to a greater degree. Um, Same thing with areas that are up and coming where you see a lot of job growth. Uh, Maybe it's close to a lot of commercial services and amenities, uh, the demand for that is going to be greater and allow you to push rents uh, uh, a little bit more than maybe you anticipated. Uh, in addition to the absorption being greater, as well, you know that's an, another big part of this uh, is understanding how long it takes you to go and actually stabilize that community.
3: So, like a couple of years ago, when when interest rates were a lot cheaper, right? These were easier. These these projects were a lot easier to to pencil because the refi debt was was so cheap and. And then, hey, then rents went up like freaking 20% in a 12-month period. Um, and so a lot of folks who were in prior to 2021 did very, very, very well, right? Yes. If you got stabilized by 2021, you, you, you knocked the cover off the ball. Um, and so what's your what's your view now? Do you think it's a dead model for the first – in this higher interest rate environment, lower projected rent growth environment, do you think it's a dead model right now? And these folks are just like, hey, you were, you know, you're, you're pregnant, you know, and you, you know, there's no such thing as half pregnant. And so they're just like, waiting it out. Like, would, would, do you think like any, anyone entering this market today is a fool?
2: Uh, I would not say anyone is a fool. I would say a lot <laughs> of people are fools. Um, but I think it also depends on what a what your investment objectives are, right? So if you are a legacy investor, that says I have a macro bet, on rental housing in the United States, I don't know if the debt is the driver of your business to begin with anyway, because the next two to three years is just a short snippet in your overall investment horizon. Mm -hmm. So for legacy investors, I get it. Because if you can buy at a discount today versus what you bought a couple years ago, and you're just going to weather the storm of of affordability, not as big of a deal. So those are the people that I, I, I totally understand them continuing to enter into the market. Could they get a better deal two years from now? Sure, they're probably banking on it. But if they can add an extra 1,000 or 2,000 units now, they will. I think for groups that are more IRR-driven uh, or operators that are are working off some type of promote structure where they need to clear hurdle rates in a short period of time to to gain profit, That is a highly speculative bet right now because you cannot generate those terms now. There is no imputed equity on day one from a current acquisition. If anything, you're probably losing equity. You're diluting that equity over the next 12 months. So there are a lot of projects out there that are currently being developed or capitalized with what I would consider to be more short-term capital, opportunistic capital. And and those folks are going to need a lot of help. They're already needing help. And and to give you some color, even on our own, uh, some of our own portfolio. Although we absolutely hit it out of the park, I, I will consider that to be more luck than skill, just because we got lucky on the timing. But even on our own, there was a uh, there's a project we have in Florida where um, we did it as a fee build, but it wasn't even finished being entitled yet. Uh, and with uh, delays through COVID and everything else, you know, by the time we were ready to actually break ground on construction. Our construction costs have elevated. The interest rate had had gone up. The deal was going to. It went from a yield on cost that was around a six and a half percent cap rate, six six and a half percent yield on cost, when we were borrowing it at three right? mm-hmm. and a half, right? And we weren't really taking the construction risk because there was completion guarantee by by the builder that was involved. Well, now the yield on cost is under five percent, and my cost to borrow is seven. So. Are we going to go build? No, we're not going to build. You know what we did on that? We sold it to a publicly traded home builder because mm. that was the best exit. So and I think what you'll see right now, it, it's 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 weird. You know, We kind of originally thought that home builders would be a, a, a great partner in the build to rent space and ultimately they will. But right now, because interest rates are so high and overall housing inventory is so low, most home builders are selling gangbusters right now because they're really the only inventory in town especially in a lot of these these hot markets that that Craig mentioned. So what are they doing? The hardest part of home building is always replenishing your land supply. So they're going back to these uh, these these build to rent guys that are now underwater and saying, "Hey, I'll I'll pick this up from you and if if the build to rent guy bought it right, maybe he can make a few bucks. If he bought it wrong, he's selling at a loss."
0: Hey guys, before we uh roll on here, can we can we sort of um break down the the players in, you know, in the in a typical deal? Um it sounds like there's the builder, the there's the aggregator, there's the guy who, you know, the the, the funding. Yeah. So maybe you could maybe you could just speak to some of the moving parts there, Dennis. Yeah, before before Dennis jumps
1: in on that, I, that I was going to go right there, Craig. I think it's interesting because it used to be it didn't matter as much. You could be you could be a fund investor buying into build a rent. You could be the money side, you could be just the, the guy that, that, that bought the lots and that you hired a builder. Uh, mm-hmm. Money was cheap. Uh, cost, cost of goods were, were lower. Things were more plentiful, but I think what as Dennis alluded, uh, it, I guess it depends on where you are in the food chain, basically.
0: It, it, and not not to mention that Fred, but it's it's the 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 unbelievable maturation of this industry in just a few years that I think we're really seeing this. Um, a lot of these players who you know there used to be guys wearing all the different hats, and now I find that like it, it feels to me like it's it's consolidating very quickly. Is that right, Dennis? Uh,
2: there there has been a, quite a bit of consolidation and, and maturation, and I will tell you, it, it's because. Everybody in this market is chasing yield in a competitive landscape, right? So this will paint a very good picture for your, your viewers, listeners. Um, when when we did the first our first build-to-rent deal, I did that because when I started my business, I did not want to go be a one-by-one one acquirer of houses in some random market and have 30 construction crews going, having a background in home building. And knowing how I know some
0: guys in Baltimore that have that business model, but you know,
2: yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know, they're they're great guys, but uh it's not it's it, not for it, me. It, yeah, I'm, they, I'm they did okay. I'm too I'm too all, I'm too. Ended up well. Fred will tell you I'm too I'm too lazy to to go do that heavy lifting if I think there's a, a quicker way to make a buck. So on the home building side, and knowing how home builders are are structured, right? They have a lot of of cost centers that go away when they sell in bulk right and they sell it much quicker so when we bought our first 40 houses from uh, a home builder uh we were able to get about 10 percent off of the retail price so i've got 10 percent equity in on day one because we've eliminated sales and marketing costs we've eliminated some of their financing costs by taking down a third of the subdivision in a day um and 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 doing that makes makes a lot of sense to me because number one, you've got a brand new house, so you have less repairs and maintenance as an operator, right? You've got a new product to offer into the market, which is a little sometimes a little easier to lease up than a, a house built in nineteen seventy that's renovated. Uh and hey, then hey,
3: Dennis, t- to that point, what, so what's the difference between like typical single family, like scattered site expense ratio versus what you were seeing from an operator's perspective uh, as an expense ratio for a bill to rent community?
2: Yeah. So, if, so obviously a lo- the biggest factor in most expense ratios are property taxes, right? Mm-hmm. So it really varies market to market on that front. Like you go into South Carolina, you're going to get absolutely killed on your expense ratios generally, but, but let's say overall, you could probably expect to knock your op. If your operating ratio on, on existing single family is Forty percent. It's probably thirty-five, thirty-four percent on um, on on new house. Gotcha. In, in addition, and yeah, and it could be lower than that. Could be lower than that depending on how sticky how sticky your tenants are. Obviously, single family has a huge competitive advantage over multifamily in the the turnover department for tenants. Build for rent communities have an even better stickiness than existing SFR. So, so it, it could easily be 20% or, or more of a discount uh, from an Ombex perspective. Um, and then, so looking at the, the, the fundamentals of why this made sense uh, initially, it was like, oh, well, I can go do all this work and go buy houses one by one and renovate them. And hopefully I can get to like a, at the time, a five and a half to a six cap in a primary market, or I could go buy houses in bulk on a brand new house, take no construction risk and be at a six plus. So for me, that was kind of the no-brainer as a way to scale the business efficiently with brand new product, um, and and be able to control my pipeline a little bit easier. And what's then what's that
0: conversation sound like to a to a builder when you roll up and you're like, We'd like to buy one third of your development here?
2: well it so I will tell you in the early days they were uh, a lot of them were saying what the heck are you talking about we're no no way we're gonna do that uh, and there's a lot of natural there were a lot of natural obstacles to this right because uh, it just really depended on what the homebuilders culture was what their mission was some homebuilders said no our business is to provide housing to to, to people and be the primary owners, mm-hmm. or some of them will have covenants in their CCNRs or HOAs where there's a, a, maximum amount that can be rentals. Um, so uh, objections all around, but there was a number of builders early on that saw the light, uh, Dream home Dreamfinders homes out of, out of Jacksonville. Um, um, uh, the, uh, Lennar is another one. Um, a number of groups that really got it kind of early on and said, Hey, this is a great way for us to kind of make sure we continue to hit our quarterly or annual numbers. We're at the end of like, if we're at the end of a quarter, cause you, when you're, you're booking the sale, you're booking the sale on all those units at once. Right. So it's a good way to, to kind of even flow your, your revenue numbers for the builder as well. Um, and they're still able to get the exact same margin, if not a slightly better margin than selling retail, with a lot less friction, you know, with when you're selling a hundred houses to someone at once, there's no change orders. I'm not going in there uh, with my wife to change the backsplash on one of the houses. It's just a a, a much more frictionless process. Um, but then, as as more people entered the market, it got. Uh, it, 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 two things happened. Number one, people said, "Well, if I go, if I go and build this myself." Or if I go buy the land, I can make – I can turn it from a 6 into a 7 or a 7 to an 8 or whatever, right? So there's there's just more juice there the earlier you got into the development life cycle. And, hey, and,
3: to, your, and to your point, and the back end is de-risked, so like – You take a little bit more risk on the front end, know that your back end risk is already mitigated because of the, you know, you're just going to refi the whole thing. You don't have to do 75 sales. So like the whole, the, the, the the total risk profile for the deal may be about the same, but the returns, a hundred and 150 basis points higher.
2: Yes. Yes. For, For sure. So it made a lot of sense to go earlier into that development cycle. However, as per most things, everything looks a lot freaking simpler on, on, on the cover than it is in reality, right? So you have a bunch of, for lack of a better term, single family rental yahoos that all of a sudden thought they were home builders, tying up land here and there, had no idea how to build a house. Um, and, and so you had a lot of deals that were tied what, up. What, what, year,
3: what year is this?
2: This is like right just after so COVID, everyone, the home builders thought the world was over. We got some of our best deals out of the panic of home builders, which literally lasted like eight weeks, right? And then everything yeah. back to normal. So we got very lucky in that eight-week period. And after that, and everyone said, "Oh, okay, well the world's not actually over; it's just kind of a new paradigm." And now the now the entire universe is flush with cash. Um, you saw people go in and tie. I saw single family operators outbidding home builders by thirty percent on land purchases that you you have to be out of your mind because home are pretty aggressive to begin with when it comes to buying land because they're in a very competitive market. Uh, t- to be able to outbid someone by that means you are underestimating and overestimating on probably a number of key variables. Uh, and that's uh, what a lot was, a lot of that was happening. And, and a lot of those deals, the only thing that saved those projects was the rapid rent appreciation. Uh, And some of them still, that was been a business model for many over the last several years. It it has. It has, you know, um, it's uh, it's it's uh, market timing is certainly, uh, uh, you know, luck has a lot to do with it. But it um, uh, right now, I think you're kind of seeing um, you're kind of seeing exactly how much proper underwriting was done over the last 18 months. As you see deals kind of desperate for rescue capital now or being sold to builders or. <clears throat> or, or just, or just getting handed back to the bank. Can we drill? So, uh, I, so I just want to
0: drill in on on Fred's question uh, one more mm-hmm. time. So, so you you um, you were in the business. You you make a decision that you want to buy houses uh, in bulk rather than one at a time. You go meet with a builder. The builder says uh, you you negotiate a deal to buy one third of that builder's you know basic inventory in this neighborhood. Or
2: the whole community shifts uh, on
0: you a little their bit. And now you've got to find a bot. So tell us, sort of, them what happened after that.
2: Uh, so you know, when I did my first deal, I worked for a large publicly traded company, um, and about eight months after that, uh, with some prodding from Fred and a couple other friends, uh, they said, "Why don't you just go start your own firm and do this?" Um, and so, uh, so I did, and so we, you know, I uh, I closed on my. First community, probably I don't know, three months, four months after I started my firm uh, on a, on, a, on another deal in Florida, and um, you know went to go raise money for that, brought in an, an LP equity partner. We hired a third party property manager to lease it up the property, stabilized it, refinanced it, um, and now it's it, that that one was actually in an opportunity zone, so it's a little bit different, but. But sure. beyond that, everything after that was I, I partnered with another long-term friend in the industry, um, Thibaut Adrian. Uh, his company is called Lafayette. So we started Lafayette Communities, which was a joint venture between my firm, Guardian, and his, Lafayette. And so um, we said, hey, let's do this. Let's build it. Let's scale it. Um, so, you know, we we started underwriting deals together. Uh, we went out to uh, onto Wall Street. We got a big private equity firm to back us as our LP investor. Um, and he, was already, he already had internal uh, property management. So we really had the infrastructure in place there to go get it. And I already had great relationships with home builders, um, spending the last 20 plus years in the industry. So we were just out there hunting. And we were not competing against very many people at all in 2018 2019 and then the first part of 2020 but like i said to jack after after covid kind of settled the housing market down it everyone and their mother came in and announced that they had raised 500 million a billion some crazy ass number that if you actually look at the total scale of the build for rent sector there's no way they could deploy the capital but yet here it is one group after the other that's uh somehow gonna you know build 10,000 houses in the next three years so so let me ask a question because I think that segues a little into
1: all that happened. There were a, a lot of folks who got into deals they shouldn't have got into because money was cheap and they had to deploy. And as you just said a few minutes ago, there's going to be rescue capital for guys who should never have bought what they bought. at assumptions mm-hmm. that were off the freaking wall. Uh, so I think that's a thing. But then there's also who does it work for today? There's, mm-hmm. still, there's still a slice of the market. Uh, and I'll pose an example or I'll pose a question, actually. Jack and I were talking with a, a pretty significant uh, kind of mid-sized, small builder guy, entrepreneurial builder out of the Midwest. Uh, he's he's able to buy lots aggressively. He's able to to kind of come and maybe finish the development side on something that's broken, get it to finish lot and then and then do a 20, 30, 40 unit development. And he's a builder at heart. He's able to buy well. He, he's not looking at yield. He's looking at basis. And he's looking to put it down at a basis that he thinks from a replacement cost makes a lot of sense so that he can, his issue is, yeah, but cost of funds are high. Like he's not a, he's not a capital markets guy, but he's a builder. So I guess the question is, you got two, two things that have been said here is what's going to fall apart and how do you act on that if you want to? And then who's it working for?
2: Yeah, well, I would say to to answer the second question first, the people it's working for are are really the groups that do have a good land basis or are creating value in the deal from entitling the land or ultimately really controlling costs. You know, building a home might sound like it's commoditized, but there are levels of value engineering that, that some groups are much better at. And with scale, there also comes... Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of potential discounts uh, when you're building to help improve your basis. So one of the reasons that I wanted to partner with some of the large home builders at first was because I knew they could build my product cheaper than I ever could, even if I started my own home building firm. There's a big difference between a group that builds fifty thousand houses a year and a group that builds fifty, um, and 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 that that percentage discount. Um, they could make their margin and still sell them to me substantially cheaper than I could build. Um, so, so Fred, I think the people that are going to be able to to continue pushing in this environment are are not only people that are are focused on that basis and able to build and develop efficiently. Uh, it's also people that are willing to go to markets that have higher natural yields, but maybe not the growth that you're gonna see in an Orlando or an Austin or somewhere else like going, I've always been a big believer in secondary and tertiary markets. There are gold, and in fact, this is part of our investment <laughs> investment uh, thesis at Sentinel Is is, I like to go into Midwestern markets and other secondary markets that have a cool narrative. They're not big enough markets to go attract institutional capital. But that doesn't mean that you cannot be highly successful in those markets even today, because those are markets that you, maybe you were doing a yield to cost on uh, of, of eight, nine, 10% before. And it was, you know, kind of through the roof. You didn't know who you were going to necessarily sell that product to. You just knew the cash on cash would be strong and you could refinance out of it. Um, now, I think you still get a very good yield for yield to cost in those markets, but your cost of capital is more expect is more expensive. So is it, can it still be accretive? Yes. And I think that's all you're looking for in this market is mm-hmm. don't go negative leverage. That is investment 101. Because as soon as you go negative leverage, that means your entire investment thesis has become speculative to actually earn profit beyond. Otherwise, don't use debt at all. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's part of it, too. You're seeing guys, some guys that are just cash buyers that are saying, look, I'm going to go I'm going to go earn even in a primary market. I'm going to go earn a five, a six, a seven. Um, and that's okay for now because I'm a long-term investor. Um, I and, and, and Oh, sorry. Uh, just to answer the second second part of, of, of Fred's question in terms of how do you participate in the distress? Uh, you know, it's tough for your average investor to go in and take like a preferred equity piece or a mezzanine debt piece um, uh, in, on a large 40 or $50 million transaction. Um, but a lot of it will go will be going and, and pursuing some of the people that are that are operating in a market. Like, you know, let's say you're in Kansas City. Go to the building department for the city of Kansas City or some of the outlying suburbs, and you'll know what the build-to-rent project pipeline looks like. You can contact those sponsors and say, hey, you know, I noticed your project got a building from it six months ago, but there's nothing in the ground. What what What's the status? What are you guys trying to accomplish? I will caveat all that, though, by saying – some of these deals don't have a place for rescue capital right now because they are so far underwater. Because there is no exit that makes sense if your basis is too low, or your basis is too high. Excuse me. Wow.
3: What's uh, so- something that I, I think that uh, that we've seen from some build-to-rent folks that we're financing is that they think that you know that, that they're, they're pinching pennies on the construction costs because they're project managing the thing themselves. Uh, They're doing it more on an infill basis because they're able to find that one-off lots, you can get a cost basis in one-off lots at uh where where, you know where where utilities are already at the street right they don't have to take a subdivision you know where where they may even be buying it at a discount to replacement cost when you define replacement cost as taking raw land and entitling it and putting and putting horizontal development into the ground so they're they're right right there or even below the replacement cost of a finished lot uh as a starting point and then when they refinance they can get a uh you know, their yields, their their net yields are not going to, are not strong, right? Like, I don't think anyone's fine in, you know, building to a seven or an eight. That's, I think that's very, very difficult to find. Um, But if you can build to break even, maybe have a, and and minimize your equity stuck, it's a way to, and you have, as you mentioned at the beginning of the the conversation, um, a long-term view of American housing, it's a way to add units to the portfolio that you don't think, and you don't think they're going to appreciate in the next Couple years, but you know, either the Fed is going to get inflation under control and rates are going to come down, or the Fed's not going to get inflation under control and rents are going to go up. And so it's a heads you win, tails I lose, or sorry, heads I win, tails you lose. um, You know, hedged bet, I guess, on just American housing. Period. And as you mentioned, you know, and easier to operate than easier to scale and easier to operate than than doing it a bunch of one at a time.
2: Uh, Look, I would agree that it's I think it's better to break even in this environment and grow your portfolio than just sit on the sidelines and, you know, pick up a new hobby. Hmm.
3: Yeah, I think that's I think that's a significant question right now. Right. We're 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 so many deal where it's so hard to make deals pencil right now. Am I going to go back to. You, and they could flip them one at a time, right? And just be, but that, but then you're just a straight up home builder in a un, probably untested tertiary it, 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 construction at market. Have, at least
2: you have optionality, right? You're creating value in that you're, 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 you're creating product that you're adding to the market. What, as long, as long as you're not having to stroke a check every month to own that house, then, you know, I can understand the value in that for people to build their portfolio to to stay busy, maybe they have employees they want to keep active. Uh, it's you know, the, the the real estate investment cycle is not made of just home runs, right? There's singles and there's doubles and there's some so, some some other stuff out there. So sometimes it's just enough to keep the lights on and stay focused on what's going on in in the market, you know.
1: Dennis, let me ask you. You know, the a lot of builders build to kind of an institutional exit, no matter what. They don't always build so they can hold the inventory. They may hold the inventory temporarily and then aggregate to a more of an institutional you know, exit. But that means the money has to have an opinion. You know, Big institutional capital has to have an opinion. And what's interesting, what we just said is, if it's just the money, it's not, it's not the land, it's not the horizontal, it's not the development, it's not the building, it's just the money, The money's got to have an opinion not to make very much
2: for quite a while. Well, I think that's uh, why you bet. see most institutional guys on the sideline right now, right? You look at overall mm-hmm. investment volume, not only on BFR, but on uh, but on on the existing home uh, acquisitions as well. It's it's down substantially for uh, for practically every major investor. Um, it, one, you obviously have limited inventory um, on the existing home front, when, which makes it tough. I, fix and flip guys are doing okay, but that's a totally different business model. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's tough. And I and, and to your point, Fred, the opinion of, of, of those groups right now is we need to see a little bit of stability here. You certainly know these publicly traded groups are not going to buy anything with negative leverage, right? They would get absolutely right. killed by their analysts. So they are pencils down. And, and by the way, this is not a BFR problem. This is a every freaking piece of commercial real estate in the universe problem. This is why you have overall investment activity down 80 percent from the first quarter of 2022 to where we are now, and it's not like the money went away. You know, the printing press that happened uh, during COVID and beyond has saturated the overall uh, M1, M2 money supplies. The cash is still out there. Groups are still raising new funds, um, but the deals have to make sense, and and so you still have this challenge of of negative leverage everywhere a a total disconnect between buyers and sellers and and so that's why you ultimately have if you're in the development game Jack you are banking on selling it to someone unless you're a legacy holder and not not that many people are legacy holders so it's it's going to be tough well
1: you know which which is really curious because i would say up to maybe even a month or two ago the narrative in the markets were Hey, yeah, rates are up. Rates have been escalating all year, but they're going to come down and they're going to come down. Maybe not at the end of this year now, but but certainly in 24 and just in the last month or so, that narrative is has changed quite a bit to we really don't know. And right. the Fed's saying the Fed's saying, you know, inflation is like a monster. We got to hit it over the head until it's dead three times. And so who knows? It may not be. We don't know what it's going to be. So the problem is a six headed monster? It, now it's yeah, a monster. so so that changed that that actually dovetails into the, the point of the institutional sideline comment because if pencils are down for more than a year or then two or three then maybe we're in the earlier innings and not the later innings of, of where we actually are in the cycle of of this kind of the slow the slow death
2: concept i agree this is a very lagging type of 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 if we enter into the proper recessionary environment it's going to be one of the slowest on record to get there um and it, it it hasn't affected a lot of other industries the way uh it has commercial real estate but you know just looking at it at it a bigger perspective like you know fred and i talk more about the 10-year treasury than we do about actual real estate deals right now mm-hmm. uh, that just kind of shows you um, how important that rate environment is. And we're not feeling the full brunt of the Fed's changes yet, right? You, you look at most commercial real estate, you look at, at at practically every corporate bond, the vast majority of the market has not even reset to these higher interest rates yet, right? The pain has not been experienced in, in, in most of uh, the total market activity overall. So that's going to drag out further and further. And I think... It's, pretty, it's a pretty easy topic to dismiss when people say interest rates are going to go back down. Why? Why are yeah. they going back down? The only way they're going back down is if we go into an actual recession. And if we go into an actual recession, guess what? Values are going down much quicker than they are right now. Um, Look, if
0: the Fed believes,
2: like what he said the
0: other day, that um, the price of housing has gotten out of control... Then isn't this the way to, as Jack said in the last episode, to peel off some of those, some of that? Uh, what did you say, Jack? It was like when the when the rates go up, we're 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 sort of taking back
3: wealth oh, from pulling, people. Pull, yeah, pulling yeah, pulling money off the sideline or pull, pulling money yeah. out of the system. You know, get it, getting it literally out of the American economy. Yeah, the um, yeah, D- Dennis, to your point, and and I, yeah, I've heard this narrative. Uh, I've heard this narrative is you know that that the F- once once uh, things calm down the Fed's going to lower interest rates as if the Fed like as if the Fed wants to lower interest rates as if there's some like you know reversion to the mean that's going to happen and and I keep thinking I'm like dude why would the Fed want to lower interest rates the problem that the Fed had for the past ten years is that it was in a low interest rate environment and so when something went shitty with the economy it didn't have any bullets left in the chamber cuz it couldn't lower interest rates anymore. The, that's right. the Fed wants to keep interest rates as high as possible as long but just out of recession so that if we go into a recession it can drop interest rates and get us out of that recession. But it doesn't want to go back down. It wants to have as you know the higher the Fed rate is, that's more bullets in the chamber for them to do their job. So this this idea that there's going to be like this, some naturally lower interest rate is is I'm, I'm struggling with it. Like seriously, it's a serious question. Like I'm struggling to figure to to understand totally, if, if I'm missing something.
2: Totally agree. Why would they lower interest rates to undo the work they've just spent the last three years undoing? Right. Yeah. I, I, I to 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 think anything other than we are going to reach a period where they're going to keep it steady for a while. I think is is disingenuous and probably. I wouldn't be surprised if the people saying that it benefits the narrative of whatever it is they're doing. You know, I hear a lot of that from operators that are, you know, GPs looking for LP capital and they say, oh, you know, when interest rates go down, we're going to do great. Yeah, well, let me mm-hmm. let me tell you what's what's going to happen on your shitty multifamily value add property here. You're not mm-hmm. going to hit anywhere near your IRR projection because interest rates aren't going to be three percent. They're going to be maybe 5.5%. And in that scenario, you're not selling it for a 4 cap. You're selling it for probably 6.5 cap. And away goes the IRR you think you're going to generate. Away goes the potential profits for your investors. And so this, this disingenuous pipe dream that people are selling right now, um, I get it. It's not fun to talk about a slow, plodding, painful market. But you know if anybody kind of forgot from... 2011 to, you know, first quarter 2022. You know, over a decade, we just had rampant freaking growth nonstop about everywhere in the country, every asset class. So it's okay if we get punched in the stomach a few times for the next couple years as the market resets. It's just a necessary part of a market cycle.
3: There's this uh, one of the recent something you made me think of as uh, one of the recent. Announcements I saw was uh, MetLife, MetLife Investment Management announced that it's getting into the single-family rental business, predominantly in the the build-to-rent space, and that one that, that just like it made too much sense to me because we've seen as as the levered securitization market has gotten out of the DSCR lending business, insurance companies have come in, right? They've got a different source of liabilities, a much longer-term view. Uh, they can have their own and and they do have right they have teams that that come up with the metlife investment thesis across asset classes across sectors and um and so it made sense and and very patient money right because of the nature of their liabilities you know and annu- you know life insurance and annuities and so that they're getting into this space made it seemed like you know that made a ton of sense that that it's a a long term but, but a long term view of the american housing market where they're not going to they're they're going to not going to put any leverage on it right like we've been talking about you know the 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 issue with build to rent is that the, the, it doesn't pay for the debt well metlife's like i right, you know you know what i'm going to do not use any debt how about that and just cl- you know clip a 6 like a 6 is only a bad yield when debt's 7 but in you know but 2 years ago 6 was freaking amazing right? right so like uh, they just decided, Hey, you know, the guy who's going to use less debt, right? The money who's doesn't need debt, like smaller operators do, they're just going to dominate that space for the next, you know, several years and buy up a shit ton of houses. Right. Cause they're, they just, they don't care where the cat, where the capital markets happen to be right now, as you mentioned, they're making a much longer bet on this, on this asset class.
2: Yeah. Look, I, and I, I, I'm not going to argue with that because you got to put your money somewhere um, and it makes sense knowing where the headwinds of demand and supply overall are for housing in the U S to, to put your dollars there. But you know, the vast majority of real estate investors do not have that type of patient long view on, on where they play. So that's, that's the challenge for the rest of us that aren't endowments, insurance companies, pension funds, is how do we make a buck so we can put our kids through college? Because, you know, we, we we honestly don't have that much time to go run these strategies um, and, and go do it in scale, right? We Most of us aren't sitting on the type of capital necessary to have that patient of an outlook. We need to create value in what we're doing. I mean, that is really why... I am pencils down on build for rent projects right now because there's no value I can create today relative to the value I could create in 24 or 36 months from now. Um, So I'm looking for other opportunities in the entire commercial uh, real estate market. I'm looking where I think there's some type of arbitrage or or value creation potential, um, which, you know, it's challenging right now all across the board. I'm becoming a much better pickleball player, but, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, other than that, it's, you know, it's needles and haystacks. Um,
0: All right, guys, why don't we wrap it here? Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to episode 12 of Real Investor Radio. We're going to come back with Dennis in just a bit for episode 13. Come on back and check it out.